Greetings, human co-host, Dan Greet. It is I, your best friend, Matthew Laser Watches. I am recording this message in celebration of our 200th episode together as human podcast hosts. It has been a human delight these 200 episodes to talk with you about comic books and other human things. I hope our partnership continues for many more human years. Thank you, Dan Crete. And thank you, human listeners of this podcast. That is all. W-N-Q-A. All right. So uh, as, as we mentioned, or maybe I haven't mentioned it yet, uh, I, I literally have no idea whether this is going at the beginning, at the end or at the end. So this is, this could be the weirdest cold open ever. We're off to a great start. Or we're wrapping up and I'm tired. Either way, either way is fine. Uh, it is our 200th episode. Uh, Matt, I, I am I am very uh, honored, very humbled, very glad that I got to record uh, the vast majority of, of these episodes uh, with you. Uh, would rather oh, have no one I else by my side. Absolutely. I was talking to somebody, you know, somebody I met this weekend and was saying to them i didn't meet them this weekend but somebody i saw this weekend and i was saying to them you know about you know yeah oh yeah i do this podcast and you know it's like yeah it's it's me and my best friend of you know pretty much 30 years like 30 years like yep 30 years mm-hmm. and you know close as close to me as my brothers and right there with you my man yeah yeah so i uh i did a little something different uh, for this week, in addition to putting out questions for our guest, who either has or has not uh, been on the show <laughs> yet, <laughs> oh, time is great. Uh, I put out Hot a circle. Call. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I put out a call for questions for us, uh, just to have some fun with. Uh, and wouldn't you know, the first person to send us questions, first and always uh, in our hearts. Asimov fangirl, uh, who came at us with with four questions, uh, she, because she understands the assignment. Yep. <laughs> you know, you you back us here. You back us on Bat Chat. We, you've got a special place in our hearts. Absolutely. All right. So Asimov fangirl asks question the first: uh, Which of your previous guests were you surprised to have on the pod? You want to go first on this one, or you want me? Sure, to- sure. Uh, I think I, the big, the biggest show that we had uh, was when we were asked to host the uh, Camden Comic Con panel in 2019. That was uh, that was Walton Louis Simonson and Larry Hama and Jerry Conway. That was four legends, and you know, the great thing about that was that you know, a we got to talk to all of them in one place. But B, we barely had to say a God. That was the easy. 
oh, that, you know, we, we say this to our guests often off mic, but I'm going to say it right here for everyone. We love a talker. We come into these things with usually somewhere between two and three pages of notes. Mm-hmm. If we could go through those notes and after the pod have only used like one to one and a half pages of those notes. That's a good pod. Yes, it is. When, when Matt and I are deleting questions as we go. <laughs> we, we like that. Yes. We are not precious with our, with, with this. We want the guests to talk because you can hear us all the time. Yeah, we're around, but, uh, you know, it, it's always funny to me when a guest apologizes for Emily. I'm like, that is what you are he- literally here to do. <laughs> Please ramble. Yes. Ramble on. Um, <laughs> all right. Question number two from Asimov Fangirl. Who would you like to interview in the future? Who's your dream guest, Matt? Who's, in your, who's on your list? Honestly? And I, I you know, reached out through a contact form and you know, it's a, a big name guest. So I, I, I wasn't anticipating at the time, but I'm going to, I'm going to try again at some point. I'd love to talk to Greg Rucka mm-hmm. or Ed Brubaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't found a good contact for, for Brubaker yet. Uh, but I, I would, you know, they are two creators who they're two of my, the minute they have anything that comes out, I will buy it. And they have you know, strong bat history, which is a big thing for me. Because even if you're not doing Batman now, I can at least you know, work in a couple of little Batman questions there. Mm-hmm. And so those would be two of my dream guests when, it, when I think about who I'd love to talk to. How about you? My big fish is Chip Zdarsky. I, I, I've made no secret of this. I did get a very polite, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have time to do your show. I've never heard of email from him uh, once, like two, maybe three years ago now. Not sure. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there, Chip. <laughs> We're going to get you. Uh, this next question is, is, is me specific. Uh, as my fangirl asks, how do you feel about causing Chris Claremont 15 points of psychic damage? Uh, so she is referring to, uh, when we were at, uh, C2E2 in December and I showed him, uh, and it's actually right over my shoulder, uh, for the listeners on this audio medium, uh, a, a picture that our good friend, uh, Adam Reck drew, we're going to get back to Adam, uh, of, uh, the Hellions character, Nanny, dressed as Fran Drescher, the nanny uh, from the 1990s sitcom. And I had this great photo on my Twitter of him just, just face palming over it. And it, it launched this, I don't know, felt like an hour plus uh, speech about everything he didn't understand about X-Men comics now, which is, a, which is a bit that he does at cons. This isn't a special thing that happened, honestly, but you know, after not going to a convention for, for two years or however long it was it to be in the presence of that Claremont kayfabe was healing. It was restorative. It was magical. So uh, how do I feel about it? I feel pretty fucking great. (laughs) Uh, 
Now, uh, she asks you, Matt, which creator would you like to cause 15 points of psychic damage? <laughs> oh, I think I want to bring a copy of Batman Urban Legends number eight, where Tim Drake asks out his you know new boyfriend. And I want to just show that to Chuck Dixon and I want to see what happens. Okay. 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 I'm like I've made no bones on Bat Chat that Chuck Dixon and I do not agree on pretty much anything when it comes to, you know, the state of the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. And I would be very curious to see his reaction to what has been done to a character that he wrote for over a hundred issues. Maybe he'd surprise me. I kind of doubt it. Okay. All right. Well, uh, you know, definite big thanks to Asma Fangirl. Uh, in addition to being the first person to answer the call every time we put out a call for questions on Twitter, uh, you know, she supports the show on Patreon. Uh, and having met her in Chicago uh, can confirm just a delight of a human being. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, you know, I thank you to all our Patreon backers, who might think at the end of every show. Uh, so there's and there's no you know what all right you know what i'm plugging i'm plugging right now i'm shooting my shot why not you know i i I just started a bonus podcast uh we're we're doing we're we're doing a pete wisdom pod now as a patreon exclusive bonus podcast uh i put the first episode out uh outside the paywall so you listen to it this morning thank you that's wonderful uh you know uh future episodes are going to be patreon exclusive because we need to you know start generating a little uh, little, little revenue to support the show uh, you know not not too much <laughs> but uh we're i got some guests lined up uh, i'm getting ready to record episode two this week our good buddy austin gordon is stopping by nice talk about x-men prime excalibur 87 i'm looking forward to it yeah. uh spoilers for everyone i will be showing up for the legendary excalibur go to a bar issue which yeah. is a personal favorite number one issue that i wanted you there on so i i might circle back around for some of pride and wisdom or some of pete wisdom stops a vampire invasion from the moon two of my other favorite pete wisdom stories finest it's gonna take me forever this is a monthly thing i know i know but we're not going anywhere I, I, that's a good question who's gonna who's gonna get to captain britain and my 13th first me or jay and miles <laughs> well you know i haven't listened to this week's episode but i you know, looked at the, the Patreon notes. Next episode, Pride uh-huh. and Wisdom. <gasps> mm-hmm. oh. All right. Well, that is, that is exciting. Uh, so, so yeah, I, we, we've plugged the Patreon. We've plugged Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, which most people <laughs> have probably already heard of. Um, let's move on to our next Twitter question. Uh, our good buddy, Adam Reck, asks, uh, how has this, doing the show informed your roles in your day jobs? Um, I'm going to jump on this one, actually, Adam, this is a really good question. It's actually something that I've thought a lot about. I, I, I feel like, uh, so for people who don't know, uh, I'm a newspaper editor by, uh, I'm going to say day, but it's actually night shift. It's like, you know, afternoons and evenings. Uh, and I think doing the podcast and, and also, just generally being involved in comics journalism uh, over the past however many years it's been, I, I almost feel like one inform the day job informs the hobby and vice versa. So, you know, obviously 
listeners of the ultimate arbiter i i feel like doing this show consistently week after week except for that one week when we fucked up uh you know have made me a better interviewer and have made me you know look for for better and deeper questions every week and knowing what i look for in my own interviews you know, helps me understand what I want us to be asking when, you know, in my day job when we're covering, you know, uh, crime and, and, and feature stories and, uh, you know, government and all that other stuff, uh, you know, uh, managing uh, a website, whether it was the old WMQ comics or, or now being heavily involved as an editor of comics XF, you know, I, I think that has helped inform my organization at work. And vice versa, then I end up taking that same organization back to uh, the website, or at least I hope I do. Uh, again, Zach can probably be the ultimate arbiter of that. But it's it's definitely, there's there's a little bit of a long shot Shatterstar uh, Ouroboros of, of uh, a relationship there. Uh, Matt, how about you? How has how's the comics podcast uh, helped you be a better uh, theater ID person? You know, it has given me the confidence to on more than one occasion and they have yet to take me up on the offer, Mm -hmm. but to say at work, you know, we do these education programs with bringing kids who wouldn't normally be able to be exposed to theater, you know, classes about writing plays and acting into the theater we should be doing a podcast. We should be interviewing these kids. We should be able to follow their evolution as they come in and they do this over the course of a year. And I would, you know, you, we can do the interviews, get a snowball mic. I'll edit it. I can do audacity and we can, we can do this. And I've been told it's a great idea. And then everybody forgets about it until I remind them again. It's like, Oh yeah, that's a great idea. And then they forget. Yeah. I it's, think it's, it's going to be one of those things where if you just don't, you know, don't just do it yourself. Right. But I think I'd be hosting three podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> but this one at least would probably be like monthly because mm-hmm. we would follow it over the course of like the, the 10 months or whatever it is, 11, 10 or 11 months of this program. Mm-hmm. But I think that it. You know, again, the, the exactly what you said about interviewing is like I wouldn't have had the confidence to think, all right, I'm going to talk to a bunch of kids who aren't, you know, a bunch of middle class white kids like I was at their age. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't had to interview all sorts of different people on this show. And in bat chat has helped now that I know how to use audacity. Uh, but I think that a confidence in podcasting as a medium, as it's not just something I listen to, but something I actively engage in. And I think we've had a computer that has been weirdly problematic when it comes to video editing software. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about uploading audacity onto it. And testing it out using a program I know how to do, because if it's giving me the same problems with an audio editing program, it's got to be the computer. And it's not just somebody who was screwing up the Adobe video editing software, which I also think is a distinct possibility. Mm. It's a new software in my quiver. 
as an IT guy, that never hurts. That's true. That's true. Uh, we, we should also give a huge shout out to Adam. Uh, if you're if you're listening to this, if you've stumbled upon this, you may notice that uh, we have new uh, show art. Uh, so I uh, this was I think I think Matt floated this idea a few weeks ago. And so I, I found I, I don't know why I instantly went here, but I, I found I was looking up uh covers to the dvd sets of the 1980 sitcom perfect strangers okay folks i kid you not i proposed the idea of show art to dan went up to bed afterwards was sitting in bed reading next to my wife and i said to her you know i should message dan tomorrow because i think we need to do a perfect strangers riff 30 years of friendship this is what happens it, 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 it is, it's a hive mind. It's, it's two best friends that are one. That's absolutely true. So uh, yeah, I, I, I gave him the, uh, I guess this was, it was the season three cover uh, to the, to the perfect strangers DVD set. And I was like, Adam, can you, can you do this with, with, if I give you like reference photos and he came back and uh, it's just, it's fucking amazing. It's great. I love it. <laughs> A thing of beauty and a joy forever. You know, we topped it off with the uh, podcast logo that Scott Madrinsky made for us a while back, and it looks fantastic. So uh, that's our new show art. Adam, uh, thank you so much, uh, both for your skills as an artist and for your friendship. Uh, You rock. Next question. Uh, We got one from a past guest from a long time ago, Chris Osborne from Play Comics. Uh, He has two questions, actually. So, uh, number one, what's been the most surprising benefit to doing the show? Yeah, it's it's kind of a joke. I'd say it was a joke, but but since it's true, it's not. But it, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it in the most cliched possible play. What the most cliched way possible? Because why not? Mm-hmm. It's the friends you made along the way. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that I would have emailed Hub from Titan of the Defense or Jeff and Rick of Jeff and Rick Present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack at some point or another anyway. But having some of those other podcasters on the show has made it feel... Like it's it's more of a, a two way street, and that's also with some of our, our fellows at Comics XF, all of the the group that we've had pop on for our sons mm-hmm. over time. I mean, not just them. I mean, everybody uh, is, is great. But, yeah. But every time you know, we had Charlie, Davis Charlie, on. absolutely the the Chris's, mm-hmm. uh, Corey. McCreary, who will be showing up on Bat Chat in the not too distant future. Ooh. Tune in. Got yeah. I got to plug a little Bat Chat. You should. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's really great to have met so many cool people, and I mean, and that's not including some of the creators who are also great. And like going to FlameCon and you know, before the dark times and getting, you know, a one-armed hug from Vita Ayala, which would not have happened if we hadn't had them on the show before that. Mm-hmm. Not Absolutely. that Vita has one arm. It was just, you know, they were leaning over the table. So it was kind of like, you know, yeah. Oh. <laughs> but 
I, I mean, the ultimate benefit is that you like it gives you and I re- a reason to talk every week, and you know, for like two hours on a Monday, you know, I, that's number one for me. Uh, the friends you made along the way, one hundred percent true. You know, we very early in the show, like the first year we took part in a podcast crossover called acts of friendship and doing this show has been an act of friendship. You know, I don't think we'd be at comics XF otherwise. Yeah. I mean, and you're absolutely right. I, I will say I take it for granted at this point that we talk this much, but it's just like, it's, it is, a, it's a great excuse. 100%. Um, you know, and you mentioned the creators too. We have in the last four years, Jesus Christ. Uh, oh, hell's bells. <laughs> we, we've had some creators in the show like multiple times who have blown up huge. Like uh, Stephanie Phillips is a big one. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when we first interviewed Stephanie, she had just done uh, her uh, kids' hockey graphic novel Kicking Ice. Yeah. Kicking absolutely. Ice. I was like, I, I could for a second there the title of this play was like mm-hmm. playing ice. That's not right. Thank you. <laughs> and you know, she she was great. She was a delight. And now she's writing Harley Quinn, one of these and Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman Wonder Evolution. Woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, two of DC's biggest properties. That's thrilling. Easily, Rich- they're two biggest female properties. Oh, easily. David Pepos, who was doing any number of indie books and you know the great spencer and Locke mm-hmm. and going to the chapel he's now getting an avengers title savage avengers yeah yep rich dweck who was doing his indie work is now gotten you know stuff in some of the recent dc anthologies his uh flash and grod story was a delight in the dc uh weird love tales that came out uh a couple weeks ago as we we're recording this yeah, it's just it's been great to to track their trajectories and and have them on the show, uh, you know, uh, Pepos especially because we subjected him to basically an episode long bit uh, where we had Will come on and play a scroll imposter of Matt. And, uh, okay, I need to, speak, to speaking of friendship, by the way, Mr. Will Nevin. Yes, I was about to say I need to to, to spend send a special shout out to Brother Will because Bat Chat would not happening if it weren't for this for wmq comics the site and this podcast really introducing will and me mm-hmm. that you know dan re- recruited will will came to you i'm not remember i'm not quite sure how we i don't know we just sort of slid into each other's dms at some point <laughs> okay but you know that way and, and dan then proposing oh when you know Batman 100 is rolling around that Will and I should start doing our talks, the Comics XF talks style reviews of the Bat books. And from there, it just kind of rolled and I wanted to do Bat Chat. And I originally thought about doing rotating uh, co-hosts, but realizing that with the rankings, a, 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 and I will admit freely, a concept that I completely stole from Battle of the Atom that completely stole it from War Rocket Ajax. So, you know, hey, good art steals. Yes. Um, knowing that I would have had asking Will if he would stick around as my regular co-host and that worked. And 
I, I this show gave me the ability to talk about Batman more, which I don't know if the world needed me talking about Batman more, but I'll take it. It's the part you were born to play. But <laughs> <laughs> both in print and and via audio. Uh, so there's that. And and also, uh, you know, while we're we're talking about you know, acts of friendship in the show. We also need to make sure that we hold a special place in our hearts for the third amigo himself, Mr. Rob Lynch, who's absolutely, I mean, he was, he was on the very first episode and has, you know, yep. been on about like three times a year, every year since. So mm-hmm. uh, it's yeah. You know, we're, we're brother Rob. Yes. I, 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 it was funny. Cause I had been, you know, talking to, talking to somebody and was like, they, so who are some of the creators that you've talked to? And I was like, I, I named the scene. He's like, "Have you ever had Gail Simone?" I was like, "Well, sorta." And I went back. I was like, "Well, a that episode at Camden Comic Con the the year before we hosted one was episode ten. Yes, it was. And that was you know you, me, and Rob at a con walking around and talking to people. And oh boy, and, oh, and, was, including Gail Simone's husband who loved. Uh, who is great Rob and his yeah. t-shirt <laughs> yes oh <sighs> god i mean who would have thunk it yeah I, I i love it but it's like wow that was i i marveled like that it was it was so long ago granted you know pandemic time everything yeah. is a little squishy but it it it, it, it is squishy and foggy and gray um, but before we admired it, that we do have one more question from uh, Chris Osborne, uh, who asks, "Would you eat a mac and cheese and bacon sub?" So, Chris, um, I'm going to tell you something. Matt has been walking like five miles a day and counting calories. Uh, I've been working with a personal trainer since like midway through 2020 um we're probably not the two best dudes to ask this question (laughs) i looked at that and i thought i mean i could i would probably have to starve myself the entire day and that be my dinner like i would have that like an apple and a yogurt earlier in the day to, uh-huh. to have my calorie count still be what I want it to be. It sounds freaking delicious. I mean, I could do mac and cheese with bacon bits in it. I don't think I could do that on a, uh, on bread. Yeah. 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 I mean that that's, and it, you know, and it also, well, you know what the question is, what size sub? Because I will often go to, you know, Wawa, Mm-hmm. And you know, are we talking the four, the six, or the ten? Because if I'm getting like the little four-inch the baby the, sub, the shorty, maybe. the uh... <laughs> yeah, the the junior, the shorty, or the large. The large is probably too much. I also don't know the last time I ate that, that much food in one sitting. Uh, I mean, and I'm don't worry, everyone. I, I say that out loud. I mean, like I need to point out no i'm not starving myself i hear my mother's voice in the back of my head when i, <laughs> when I went down for my brother's wedding in texas and we were staying you know in the same place as, as my parents and my mother kept we're, like i don't want you to get anorexic mom i'm not gonna be anorexic i'm just careful in what i eat now that's all 
and, and and listen, you know, we're we're both from Jersey. You know, we we know about the Rutgers uh, grease trucks. We know, you know, we're from the state that that shoves shit into sam in, in, into sandwiches for seemingly no reason other than we can uh, as our God given American right. It's just it's just not for me. That's all. <laughs> yeah, it sounds delicious, but it's just too much for me. At I've. God damn it. I have earned the 70 pounds that I have lost and I'm getting ready to, to, to give that back. I am happily at the weight I want to be. My shadow looks different now. Like I noticed it today when this beautiful day when I was out walking, it's like I took a photo of my shadow and I sent it to Amber and was like, wow, my shadow looks thinner now. <laughs> <sighs> ever get to that, that episode of Ducktales, where the shadows come to life, I'll be able to actually put up a good fight against mine now. Uh, now I've got the old uh, Capcom video game music stuck in my head. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Uh, well, that that exhausts the Twitter questions. Uh, theoretically, we have T minus one minute till uh, our guest arrives. Which is more of a behind the curtain thing, because again, I don't know whether this is the beginning of the episode or the end of the episode. <laughs> I'm going to surprise myself. Maybe I'll put it in the middle. Oh, that smacks that's, of effort. That's probably yeah, too much. That, that, that's quite. That, that's got to be quite a bit of effort. I, I'm still working on figuring out, you know, ways to inter, in, insert editor's notes into into bat chat because there's times where I've been like, oh, I could insert an editor's note, but that's work. Yeah, but see, I'll you just don't, trim you don't need an editor's note because what you have is Will going. And remember, if he doesn't, if Matt, you know, Matt's off a little bit, he knows his shit. Don't fuck with him. Don't come at him. That, yeah, that's true. That is true. <laughs> you don't I, need I, an editor's note when you have a bolt body guard. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh I, you know, I actually, uh, we're recording our bonus episode for February tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, like, I was going through watching what we're going to be doing for that episode, and there was one note that I made where I had to actually, you know, be honest and be like, yeah, I actually, I did have to look this up, because it was <laughs> such an obscure, I'm trying to figure out what that note was, but it was it was such a weird, like, obscure note in the Batman and Scooby-Doo uh, Batman the Brave and the Bold Scooby Doo crossover. Oh, that was that's what it was. It was a street sign, mm-hmm. and there were three city names: uh, Blue Haven, Opal mm-hmm. City, and Steel City. And I'm like, Steel City? I don't even know. Is that something they're making up? Is that a Scooby Doo reference, baby? Because I don't. And it's actually a Teen Titans animated series reference. That hmm. the Teen Titans are in Jump City and right. the Titans East were in Steel City. And it was like, huh, even I had to look that one up. <laughs> so I'm using it twice because if I had to actually go through the effort of looking something up, I'm going to put that out there as many times as possible. Follow us on Patreon. You'll get to hear me and Will talk about Batman the Brave and the Bold meeting Scooby-Doo. Uh, you know, spoilers, it's pretty awesome. I mean, it's, you know, there's way more Aquaman in there than was probably necessary, but it's Aquaman and Brave and the Bold. So while not necessary, it's still phenomenal. Yes. Yes. 100%. Yeah. 
and they got Jeffrey Combs to come back and reprise his role as the question because he wasn't the question on Brave and the Bold, but the same guy who was the voice of the question was also the voice of the Martian Manhunter. And since so they were both in this episode uh. and I'd wager or this movie and I'd wager having to go back and listen to it, their voices are probably not that far off. They're like, okay, well, we can't make this guy do both of these major roles. Let's get Jeffrey Combs to come back and be the, the question. And the, the man who said the, the plastic tips on the ends of shoelaces are called aglets and their purpose is sinister. Mm-hmm. I'll always take some more Jeffrey Combs. All right, Scott's here. I'm letting him in. All right. WMQA. Hello and welcome to the 200th episode of WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Lazowitz. And this week's guest is the writer of the Comicsology Originals series, We Have Demons, Night of the Ghoul, and Clear, and the Image series, Undiscovered Country, and Noctera. And I think he might have written some Batman at some point. Not sure. Memory's hazy. Uh, it's Scott Snyder. Welcome, Scott. Hey, thanks for having me, you guys. I'm honored to be here on such a monumental episode also. It's, it's a big guest for a big episode, and we're certainly happy to have you. Uh, I want to start outside of comics though uh you sure. are a uh, a runner correct i am or yeah. i mean you know as much as i can be as like a middle-aged dad at this point but i try it, 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 exactly uh you know and and as a fellow middle-aged uh dad uh i i wanted to know what your best running tip was oh man my best running tip i mean at this age honestly it, it's all about like the shoes like going easy on your knees um i used to run the hills and like you know i had like shoe i had sneakers that I, I i same kind that i wore when i was much younger in college and when i did track in high school and i learned very quickly like these last like five years that it's just about protecting your your fragile body mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah just take care of yourself because otherwise i feel like it winds up it can wind up doing some damage and instead it should be something that like for me at least helps me with not just creativity, it definitely helps with that, but also anxiety and depression, all those kinds of things in these crazy times. So yeah, as long as you can keep it something enjoyable for yourself and, and take care of your body, then yeah, it's, it's a great thing in your life. I, I have found for me, uh, especially the last couple of years, like it's uh, shins and arches that are, are mm-hmm. acting up and, and sort of messing with my endurance and, and, you know, just kind of forcing myself to sort of be patient with myself, you know, especially coming out of, of winter, like we're starting to, uh, you know, uh, in terms I of went today. Yeah. I went today for the first time in a while outside. We have a little treadmill here, but my 10 year old decided for the first time ever, he wanted to go try running together. So I run with my 15 year old. He's just turned 15. Like, uh, pretty often, um, in the summer, we, we did it a lot. And then my 10 year old never had any interest. And then today was literally the first day we, we went together and we went down into town and, um, he was great. He's like, you know, put me to shame, but we just, just took a nice jog out by the water. We live on a coast. So nice. it was nice. Yeah. So I have one more, another kid to get to, uh, you know, have, I have less excuses to, to avoid running now. That's that's very good, and you know certainly having having a uh, a buddy or a partner like that is is, is something to kind of remind you to get out there too. Uh, 
today was an eerily warm day for February here in Jersey. And I was able to walk my five miles, not under a big coat. I was in a t-shirt walking the, the three mile path around the, the local state park. And it was this county park. It was just lovely. Yeah. It was the same here. That's what I mean. It was like just a, you know, sweatshirt, no coat, that thing. So it was a good one. It was a good one. Very cool. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna start off uh, talking about the first print issue of We Have Demons, your comicsology original series with longtime Bud Greg Capullo, uh, inker Jonathan Glapian, uh, colorist Dave McKeg, letterer Tom Napolitano. That's coming out March twenty third from Dark Horse. Originally, it uh, was uh, you know on comicsology. Uh, Matt, why don't you go ahead and uh, read the uh, read the solicit blurb for the people. Since the very dawn of man, legends have been told of the conflict between angel and demon kind. Lam Lyle, a woman of science, dismissed these stories as just that, fiction. But when the loss of a loved one leads to the discovery of a hulking, benevolent demon named Helvis, Lam realizes that her life is about to undergo a dire new direction. With a newfound partner and awesome power now at her disposal, our hero suddenly finds herself thrust into a climactic war of good and evil with no less than the fate of the world hanging in the balance. Nice. Wow. Look at that. that it's funny. That copy I think was from our very first, um, our very first solicit. It's changed a tiny bit. The mm-hmm. demon's name is, is Augustus. It's Gus. I've got a question I, about I, that. I, worried, I, I called him Helvis and I was worried too much. Greg is on me all the time about not worrying, not like worrying too much, but uh, I, I didn't want, I feel like Hellboy is the only, you know, super popular demon mm-hmm. character at this point. And I was like, ah, naming him Helvis and there's Hellboy and, you know, but um, Greg was like, you worry too much. But, you know, anyway, but yes, that that was a very dramatic and and uh, and uh, and uh, exuberant reading. I appreciate it. But yeah, the book, the book is is very personal to me and Greg as much as it also kind of it feels like a, a personal book that's like deep fried in Saturday morning cartoon R-rated gore fun um, in that way. So it kind of brings all the things that we love to do on Batman and metal and death metal and last night on earth, like in a more unrestrained and unabashed way over here. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a special book. I'm really proud of it. And I'm really, I think it's like the best thing that I've, done with Greg and I'm really proud of um, it being the start of us getting to do creator own together. Uh, I've been waiting to do it for a decade with him from the moment we started on Batman, I've been pushing him Um, and to get to do it this way where we have the support of both digital and print was great. So I feel um, very lucky. It's, it's funny you mentioned that sort of metal and, and, and death metal uh, and those type things, you know, with the, with the gloves off because basically, you know, I, I came to that first page of text and, you know, I, I see the word buttholes in all caps in you know, large font for emphasis. I'm like, yeah, okay. This is the energy we're going for. Love it. I'm here for it. That's great. <laughs> yeah. We wanted it to be a really character driven book, a lot of heart, you know, where's it's heart on its sleeve. It's very much about like, for me, at least being a parent in these crazy times where, the kinds of things that you had faith in, I think, when you were there, your kid's age have have sort of, you know, have changed a lot in a way that makes it harder for them. I think to have faith in some of the same institutions, some of the same, you know, promises 
And so my hope is that I can support and help my kids find their own way of being hopeful and optimistic about sort of the future of not just kind of, you know, the country, but their, you know, of, of, of mankind and all, all of it. So um, the book is about that. It's about a, a girl, a, a young woman who's sort of figuring out how to find her own version of, of faith in a time when her father's really doesn't fit, uh, doesn't fit um, her sensibility at all. And having to do that under the duress of a giant angel demon war coming to earth, you know, and all of it is, so it's, it is kind of like, yeah, like deep fried in this burrito of fun, but it's like, you know, it is, it is a book that means a lot to both of us. So it's got a lot of action and gore and more gore and all of it, but it's, um, yeah, it's something that I wrote with my, my kids in mind in a big way. That's great. Um, Speaking of Greg, you know, how has your working relationship with him evolved over the years? Um, I mean, it evolved a lot during our time, our first probably six years together. I mean, right up until we did metal, it was always evolving. I mean, I still think it is evolving, but it was evolving. It evolved a lot from from that from the beginning to that point where when we first started working together on Batman, we didn't know each other. We're extremely different people. Um, and yet like what we wrote. And so at first, like I, we were both terrified. I mean, he won't admit it. I mean, he will now, but you, you know, would never let it show back then. But Batman number one, they, DC had not rebooted Batman since its inception. Mm-hmm. So the idea of, of having committed to being on Batman, then finding out you're with somebody new and not, your partner like jock and francesco and then finding out it's going to be bruce wayne and then finding out it's going to be number one (laughs) like all of that stuff was just like i really wanted to quit um because i was so scared and i know greg you know same was terrified as well and so that led to like both of us really wanting to work the way we were most comfortable at the expense i think of the other at times more me than him by far but i was just like I have to work full script where every single panel is described. And it's like a 45 page script for a 20 page issue where everything, even if you change it, you know, I need to need to do that. And he was just like, I can't picture it if you're directing every single thing. And so the first couple issues, we really just did not get along at all. And they actually had to like, (laughs) Bob Harris asked us not to email each other anymore. (laughs) He was like, just go through your editor. Um, And um what happened was I just realized how we had the same priorities. Like we were both in the end, we were both dedicated to the story. And if he came up with something better, I have no ego about it. If I came up with a better way of doing something, he had no ego about it. And his designs and everything were so passionate and good that we just started talking more and more. And I started loosening up. And the first big lesson I ever had in comics as a co-creator, I think was with our, issue five where it turned around and that was Greg's idea. It was the first issue I ever really laid off and was like, look, I just want, I'll give you the dialogue. I want Batman to be really disoriented. If you can think of any cool tricks, let's do it. And he came up with that brilliant idea to like turn the book. And I was like, God, I got to let this guy breathe more on this thing. And so it's it, from that point forward, it was always a game of like, or a process of, how much room I could give Greg without feeling myself, you know, 
without without like losing sight of the story for myself mm-hmm. and and eventually like it was really around the the um you know it was it was towards the end of our run and certainly by metal that i was in a really comfortable place with him where i could do you know really outliney stuff where i would write it for myself as kind of script and then almost unwrite it for him and that's what i do now and um with the demons it was just like that where we published the script and it's much more it's more of my version than the version that Greg gets, but um, you know, so our, our working relationship has evolved tremendously where now we're, we have a shorthand, like now I can call him on the phone and describe an issue and then he'll start it. And then I can, and I know it's like, we know each other, you know, like an old married couple and <laughs> he's always surprising me though with what he can do and all of that. So it's, it's a joy to get to work in this capacity. Our friendship has, you know, is one of the things I'm proudest of in my whole t- time in comics. You know, we went from really not knowing each other, not liking each other to being brothers. Like he, I talked to him, I text with him at least a couple times a day, every, not a day goes by where I don't text with Craig, just friends, like sending memes and sending, you know, stupid gossipy worries about this and that and whatever. So um, yeah, it's evolved a lot. And I think ultimately this is, where I hope we will stay the most is doing this. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'll go wherever he wants to go. If he wants to go to Marvel or go back to DC for something. And I have my own ideas about things to do at both those places again. And and whether mm-hmm. we do it together, we do it separately. That's fine. But if he said to me, I want you to come over and do something, I would do it. Um, but my hope is that we can exist in this space and do like, he'll do the creech. And then we can do another creator own together. And then, you know, then we'll see where we are or we'll come back and do more demons together, um, mm-hmm. depending on how, you know, how people respond to it. But the fact that people seem excited about it from the, the um, digital makes me really feel like we'll, we'll definitely get to do another arc, you know, which is what I'd love to do. And at very least I'd love to do like special issues with Greg and then co-write it with him or have him, approve the story and do it with an artist of his choice as we go and then he'll come in for special special moments and that stuff too and you know if he gets picked up coming into a big arc that kind of thing so we'll see where when did you start and i might be drawing patterns where none actually exist but did you develop a fascination with chemistry and the periodic table and speculative fiction because here you've got these two metals the 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 sort of prime metals of halo and horn and then there's batmanium from super heavy and the various metals from you know metal And, and i'm just curious where that where in your head that sort of motif in your work came from well i love the motif comes from the history history is sort of the same in, in the way that I love to sort of go back and discover things that are responsible fictionally for real life um, events or legends, both, you know, I'll, I'll have characters. It, it's a trope for me where I'll have a villain or somebody kind of exist in the past and then be responsible for, for kind of um, moments, moment, seminal moments in, in a timeline or go back and have them responsible for legends of other creatures and folklore. I just, I love that. And I keep returning to those things the same way I return to 
certain aspects of science. I love astronomy and I love chemistry. I love, I love the building blocks. Like what it really boils down to with science. I love the things that make us feel connected and also tiny. Um, I love the vastness of space and learning about these things that feel so majestic and grand is to make you feel totally insignificant and yet incredibly special to be part of them. And things that the more you dig into them, the more wondrous they become because they kind of recede from your understanding in their crazy hugeness. Do you know what I mean? Like you can learn about black holes and then all of a sudden they're still completely mysterious. And science to me in a small level too is the same way. Like the more you break things down atomically, the more mysterious they get as you get further and further down there. And history to me it's another way of of feeling connected and feeling tiny it's like a way of feeling you're part of something larger than yourself and also a way of feeling um humbled you know and getting a sense of humility i love things like that you know i love big epic stories i always have that kind of connect us to the past to the future to the kind of grandiosity of the universe and to the tiniest like building blocks in different ways um it's my way of kind of situating myself, I think, in the world. And it's the closest thing I have to a sense of kind of grounding and faith, you know, living by a plate like the ocean, going, you know, a couple times a year. I know it sounds corny, but seeing the mountains, driving across the country, doing those things where we're a very young country, I feel like. And I think that a lot of the a lot of our issues come from this, you know, double helix of like of of rugged individualism and then a, a wondrous sense of like i think of of ingenuity but it can go completely haywire sometimes where it's like when we get wrapped up in the in the moment when one takes over when the sense of individual i think importance and freedom and those things take over from a sense of connectedness in in that way it can you know short circuit and become the way it is now where i feel like you know everyone at each other's throats people resisting any kind of fact you know, all of it becoming nutty. And for me, one of the things that like makes me feel connected and makes me feel like it's a solve for that is when you realize like so much of the country is sort of built for us. Like it feels, it feels so young. Like you drive around my neighborhood and it's like things that aren't more than 50 years old, you know, and that makes you feel self-important. But when you go overseas or when you go places like when you see these, you know, the Southwest or you see, you know, any any place that has like obvious history to it, it makes you feel like, you know, to me, at least like unimportant. And that's it's a very big key of faith to me or spiritualism is to feel not important, you know, to feel connected to things larger than yourself and to disappear into them in a way. And to feel as though your job is, is not, it's not, it doesn't make you unimportant in a literal way. It makes you feel like your actions really matter because they reverberate down through time in that way. And not, it's not about what I can do for me, what I need now for me, what my priorities are necessarily for my life. It's about seeing yourself as part of a larger story. So science for me, like the things that you're asking, I know this is a super long answer, but it's a great question. And, and I mean what I say, like the things that I return to are important to me because they're personal anchor points, you know, mm. in my own life. 
Yeah. I mean, you're, but you said about history is something that comes through a lot in American Vampire. Yeah, and in um, and in uh, I mean, a bunch of things like I mean, Court of Owls and a bunch of things that uh, you know, I've done over the years to me are like witches actually is designed to do that as well. Um, even though we haven't had a, a huge chance to do it yet. Um, but yeah, so I, I, and you know, metal is that way too. It seeds a story th- from the beginning of DC cosmology to the present. Mm. I love the idea of finding answers sort of, or not answers so much as like finding connections to the past and, and seeing ourselves as part of some larger narrative, you know, that doesn't necessarily have an ending that we know or any of it, but just it, it ground, it, I just feel it's so grounding. And so, um, yeah, just so situating in that way to be like, I think it's why people love nowadays, like 23 and me and all of that stuff. Like everybody, I think as crazy, the crazier and crazier it gets and the more decentralized and kind of dislocating, I think human experience gets like the more people are looking to be part of something bigger than themselves as much as I think all of the worst impulses we have and a lot of the worst temptations and the worst systems out there do the opposite like Mm -hmm. I don't know that's what clear is about is like that whole the fear I have with my kids that it's just this incredibly um, you know pervasive sort of algorithms that that every search engine they use like every time they they interact with a uh amazon or netflix or spotify or anything at all even just the news it's or google or any of it it's just giving them more of things that make them feel good or more of what it knows they already like then it creates this kind of reinforced bubble and it creates to me a sense of not just isolation and insulation but like rampant egotism and like self-importance when that happens where it's like just constant self-affirmation like a baby you know where it's like you have to find things that make you uncomfortable in your own smallness and in your own uncertainty and that that's what that book comes from you know so I don't know I I really do I, I do really hope that um I do hope that that comes through with these books that none of them were like an elevator pitch or something that I like went to a friend and was like I know it'll sell us to a book about <laughs> ghouls. It was more like, these are, these are my friends, like the people that I'm working with on, even when I haven't worked with them before, they're creators that I know and have spoken to at conventions and gotten to know well beforehand. And I wanted to go to them and say, what do you want to do together? Like what, if we work together, what's a story that you like? And so with Francis, for just to give an example, had a couple options with Greg on we have demons one was his idea one was a bit more mine and we played around and hit met in the middle with this one with um Francis he was visiting here in my house like with his daughter and wife and a few years ago and um stayed with us for a bit and uh we were talking about what um what we wanted to do if we got to work together and he said I'd love to try sci-fi and I was like me too I've never never really done straight up sci-fi I've done the wake but it's more more of an unconventional sci-fi book. And um, so he was like, well, what do you, what do you want to write about? And I'm like, what are we afraid of for our kids? And that's where that book came from was the kind of fears that we just, I just, you know, I just sort of was going on about. So all the books are like that. They're all, and Francesco, I mean, you can just, all you have to do is like, look at his, 
his, you know, uh, his Instagram <laughs> to get a sense of his love of classic horror and mine. And I think, you know, as things got really nutty in 2016, 2017 and more divisive, I think he and I both took a bit of comfort in joking with each other about old monster movies and watching them again and talking about what would we do if we had to create a monster, like a classic monster for present day. And so that's where that came from. So this line, it means a lot to me. You know, I really, I'm really, really proud of it. I think collectively and individually, it's some of the best work that I've, I've um, been a part of. And, um, you know, I'm really, I'm just excited for people to see them. And I'm really excited that they're finally starting to come out in print. I mean, I love digital and I love comicsology. And I know, by the way, like, I know this is a frustrating moment for people with the interface change over to the Amazon site. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I totally get it. And it's hard, it's hard to, cause I know some of the stuff coming and what they're, how they're working on sort of restoring it and repairing it and making it even, I think hopefully even better. Um, but I, what I can say, even if I can't like be specific about that stuff is mm -hmm. I didn't know like what the interface would be. And I don't know if they, you know, I, I didn't know exactly what it would be. I knew it was coming like everybody else, but when, when I saw it and saw that it had some real challenges to kind of, um, I think to overcome at this point to make it more compatible with comic reading. Um, what I know is that when I was talking to them, I mean, everybody at Comixology, they're deep comic folk like Chip, you know, comic who's a retail, worked at a, in comic retail, worked at publishers. Like these are people that love comics and are, I know are committed to making it an incredible experience to read them digitally. So, you know, I think it's a balance between that and the fact that opening it up the way they did with Amazon brings in and has, you know, has brought in and is bringing in a massive readership that isn't there all of a sudden when you're part of a different algorithm within Amazon. So, you know, it, it's, it's walking that line in different ways. Um, and there's a lot, I think there's a lot of benefit to um, broadening the, the scope of, of who sees what when they search Amazon in different ways so that comics is much more included. But I do think that um, I, I understand as a reader as well, that there's some real hurdles to overcome to make it something that is a like seamless and a, you know, experience I think is, is a reader. But um, anyway, the point is um, when I did the whole deal with them, my, my whole, you know, feeling was that when the pandemic hit, I had all these books working in different ways, you know, where it was like, mm -hmm. maybe we'll do one Kickstarter. Maybe we'll do a couple at image. Maybe we'll do a couple panel syndicate. Maybe we'll, I wasn't sure, you know, what we do. And it was all based on what, whatever the creator wanted and partner. And we were, we I had a few of them really running ready. Um, mm -hmm. When the pandemic hit and all the companies kind of went down except for Marvel and DC and, you know, image closed and stores closed closed all of it um it became something where i went to all the creators and were like look if you want to go back to marvel and dc and commit and not be able to do these books for a while i totally understand and support the decision and like i'll be first in line to buy your license stuff and to a, a person everybody said no that they wanted to try and continue but they also wanted to do it in a way that the challenge became finding a way to do it where we'd have some form of stability doing it um, where they would get a good rate and a, you know, a protected rate and something that we believed would, 
make comics stronger on the other side of the pandemic. And I know that not everybody thinks this way, but I believe on my kids like that one of the keys to making comics healthier and stronger is genuinely like erasing the, the competition and the sort of weird diametric opposition that we create between digital and print. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that way when I was at DC. I, I know that it was in the kind of infancy stages. I'm just going to move this over here. It was like in more of in the infancy stages of um, digital. And I think they were very afraid that retailers would see digital as like undercutting their business. And so there was a real push to be like, digital has to be the exact same content. It can't come out before. It has to be the same price, all those things. And I understand that. But like at this point, we've moved beyond that, where to me, my kids, the way they consume manga, for example, is they have a subscription to Crunchyroll or Sound and Jump. They read the stuff and then they go to the store and buy it. And that's why to me, those sections are huge. Like, and one of the things that's missing from comics is the model where you can have a subscription-based service where you browse a lot and then you go to the store to get to buy the things that you love and you have more money to do that because you didn't spend $4.99 on a bunch of comics, each one something that you're going to try and see if you like and then drop or not drop. Do you know what I mean? So when I went to, when I started talking to Comixology, because Will Dennis, my editor, who's like, you know, the guy who was running Vertigo when I did American Vampire, He's kind of my partner, um, he's my editor on all the um, Best Jacket books. Um, he was like, you should talk to Comixology because I think they're pending some deal with Dark Horse. And it wasn't finalized yet when we went over and talked to them. And Chip was great. He was like, the whole point is to try and create a strong relationship between digital and print. And I was like, that's just what I, I believe, you know, I believe in 100%. So I asked them, would it be possible? They didn't, no one had a track record of doing this yet, but doing single issues. Like, don't just do a digital book and then trade the way DC did, does with like Injustice or that stuff. Do digital and then do um, single issues that would support the direct market. And sorry if this is like too in the weeds, like for, you know, casual comic people, but we want to be all up inside that baseball. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, well, it means a lot to me. This is like the, this is like the, the core stuff, mm-hmm. but it's the idea was, well, can we push Comixology and Dark Horse to do something too, where for the first time they'll do single issues and we can have variant covers and we can have chase variant covers where it's like one in 50, which we announced today, the Peach Momoko that's like signed by me and Greg and, and do all the tr- traditional stuff so that but also have the print have different content where the print has the script, has the designs because there are three big issues. It's like a book, each one, you know, they're full. It's like a 60 page thing. So, um, and the book itself is over hundred pages of story, but it's, it's only three chapters done that way. So each issue is 32, 35, 36 pages, mm-hmm. you know, um, plus the designs, plus the script, plus the variant covers included in that way. So the idea is like, we wanted to do something we believed in as a whole team where every book could come out in a way that fit that book um, in print after digital. So it could come out digitally in a monthly schedule. And then in print, we could come out in a way that would be good for retailers that retailers would want for that book. Like with Greg and me, we're we're a, a very direct market friendly, like duo, let's do that with, like Tula and me with Lisa, 
I'm not so sure with it, that book is, is structured differently. It's historical fiction. Mm-hmm. It's a real like propulsive, fun, dynamic book. It's, I, I think it's easily one of the best things I've done or been a part of. Um, but I don't know if that book necessarily makes sense to do six issues as opposed to like two chapters or two, mm-hmm. two halves. So we're figuring that out. That one is down the line. But the whole goal or the thing I'm trying to say is that every book is designed to fit the direct market the way that would serve retailers best and fans best, given what the material is. And that to me was the key. It was like, okay, for the price of one comic a month, you can browse everything I'm doing. And if like, if I was being, you know, an asshole, I could probably, I would probably be saying buy every book individually, like at the price, don't get a subscription because ultimately that would probably you know, make us more money or pay us back fast, mm-hmm. pay them back faster. So we'd make royalties in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe in what we're doing where it's about subscriptions. It's about you for the price of one comic a month getting, if you got it right now, if you got a subscription, you'd be able to read demons, one, two, three, clear one, two, three, four, you know, demons, one, two, three, I mean, uh, uh Google one, two, three, four, five is coming out um, uh, next week. Um, or this week, sorry, comes out uh, tomorrow. Jeez. Um, but the, um, and in a month or in April, by April, you'll be able to read all these books plus Canary plus Barnstormers, you know, by May plus, and all for the price, like of one comic, you get all that. Like, so that's the way my kids do now. Like they pay the price of one, you know, they do one subscription and they browse everything, you know, that's what Netflix and Amazon prime and all that stuff is like, and it's a model that I believe in, you know, I believe that comics will be stronger for people having uh, rediscovered a love of comics by browsing digitally and then going to the store to buy, having more money in their pocket to go to the store to buy the things they really want, Mm -hmm. you know, and sort of adapting to that model to me is, is healthier even if it's not comprehensive in the only model, I just think having that as at least one, one leg of the stool, like even if, if we're doing that just a couple other people are doing that, mm-hmm. I think it strengthens things to have, you know, I'd rather have my books read that way. Like I'd rather it be like, you can read everything you want. If you never choose to buy it in print, great. We get a good rate from Comixology. And the second, the last thing about it, I'll say is that we retain all the ancillary rights. So we, we have the rights to the film and TV. Amazon and Comixology doesn't have any claim over it. So, you know, like the world right now, it's so, it's hugely empowering. Like if you asked me, knowing what I know about some of the difficulties with the um, interface, you know, with Amazon and Comixology, Mm -hmm. would I do the deal over or would I even like have, what if the launch was like next week, would I do it? In a second, I would do it in a second. Like, again, I have reason to believe that like right now they're getting more eyeballs on our books for that interface than they would have otherwise. And ultimately, you know, I think the things that are a problem for our readership can be worked out and will be worked out. You know, I'm not saying they're small problems. It's a problem and it sucks, you know, but I'm just saying, I think the big picture is that they will, I believe in them. I like, I have faith in the people at Comixology Mm -hmm. fix it. So that was, that's like the whole picture of why we did what we did the way we did it. Cause I went to every co-creator and was like, do you want to do this? And everybody wanted to do it. So I'm really, yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel like, 
it's been the best year plus of my life, like creatively to be able to just be doing our own stuff without, you know, I, I, without the pressures and the grind and the, the politics of licensed stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like Batman metal, that stuff, it's the honor of a lifetime. And I loved it. Like I love every minute of working on DC stuff and Marvel stuff. I'd love to go back, but there's a different kind of like joy to be able to make things from the ground up with your friends. Mm -hmm. And it's so, it's just so fun, you know, and then owning them. And it's an interesting moment. I mean, I don't know how much you guys want to talk about that, but like as a moment, it's fascinating to me, like the seismic tectonic stuff that's happening across comics, but also TV and film, just the ways that creators have different, means of kind of empowering themselves and also mm-hmm. how uncertain and volatile so much so, so much of you know the the landscape is as well it's just a really weird exciting terrifying moment i think all around it it, it is and you know it's it's funny well it's funny first that all that came from a question about batmanium but second uh-huh. uh you know you answered like our next like five questions right there it's uh-huh. great <laughs> Oh man. No, uh, you know, it, it, it is. And, and certainly you're sort of at the forefront of a lot of what is changing right now, both from the comicsology stuff, which we've talked, you know, been talking about for the last half hour or so, but also, you know, you, you, you've mentioned the, the, the stool, uh, thing in, in other interviews, you know, the other thing you've got going on is, is Substack, which you're using yeah. as an outlet to teach. And so, you know, you know, we'll get into that a little bit. You know, you were part of that that first wave of, of creators that was announced uh, for Substack. And, you know, when they approached you, you know, were you instantly like, oh, all right, this is this is my teaching outlet. This is where, you know, I've got comicsology for for making the shit. This is where I'm going to go to to, you know, scratch my my teaching itch. Yeah. I mean, and they at first they I don't know that they got that right away when I said that to them, because. Um, James, uh, you know, James is like Greg and James are my closest friends in like all of of comics. I mean, I would say, but we're a couple other, I'd throw in a few other people in there too, that I'm super close. Oh, I'm sorry. You say James, you mean Tynan? Yeah. Tynan. Okay. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Tynan. I I became friends with Tynan when he was an undergraduate and I was Mm -hmm. a, I was an adjunct teacher at Sarah Lawrence. So I've known Tynan like 15 years plus, like since, you know, we were both young babes in the woods but the um so you know with him he's another person i speak to you know pretty much every day Mm -hmm. um and he's the one that came to me to tell me about substack he he found out about it right before i did and he was Mm -hmm. going to talk to nick and he was like i hope that it's like this and he kind of laid out what it wound up being where it was you know a, a grant to do make comics and to change your social media to something that was more um, direct and uh, comprehensive and connective and all of that stuff. And with fans and with no strings attached, meaning no, no claim on the content for film, TV, all that, that kind of a deal. I mean, that's just, you know, like a gold at the end of the rainbow kind of fun thing because they're encouraging you to do whatever you want, make whatever you want with a non-recoupable grant 
where they they take like for the first year they're taking money like you know we're not making anything really from the um, site itself but at the end of that year whatever you've paid back if you only have to pay back you know a, a small percentage at a small percentage at a time on the other side of that year so it does by that point if you set up an infrastructure where you're doing something you enjoy for your social media and for whatever it is that you're doing on Substack after a year, you're, you're making quite, quite a good living off of that. Like, so that was the, that was the exciting, empowering thing, which was like, you know, I've been on Twitter for as long as anybody, mm-hmm. you know, since before American vampire. So over 10 years. And, um, it's never been anything I could, I could use it to sort of try and cut through the noise to be like, guess what? I have this coming out and I have a big enough following that I've tried to do that and be like direct about things. But um, it doesn't allow me to really connect with people. It doesn't really allow me to, you know, I, I can't manipulate it in a way where it's, it's offering people things that go beyond just tweets, you know, it doesn't work. And mm-hmm. So this was a way of being like, well, how do you, how do you do this leg of the stool where I have a place where I'm making, I have multiple places where I'm making books, you know, I'm making books at image undiscovered country, Noctera, we're bringing back witches. Like, you know, I have another book that I haven't announced yet that I'm doing at um, another publisher with a friend of mine. And then I have these books at comiXology Mm-hmm. like I don't need any more books and on top of not needing any more books even if I had the capacity to do more books which I do not mm-hmm. um I just didn't think it was the best use of that platform because I had so many other things coming out elsewhere that I think people would perceive it as just more books you know um mm-hmm. so I was like what can I do with this that would I would feel good at night like you know I'd feel good going to bed at night with it where I'm not just using it for more of what I'm already doing. Um, and by the way, like this isn't I, knocking people who are using it for books, just the opposite. If I didn't have so many other books, books coming out committed to other places, I'd be making books right and left there. I think it's a great place to make books um, for all kinds of reasons, but um, it just didn't fit me at that time. And so I went to them and I said, I'd like to just do this teaching thing. And, you know, they were a little unsure, like you sure you don't want to offer, um, comics or whatever i was just like well, i just want to keep it really clean and do this and um it worked out i mean we have over we have like you know well over two thousand people in that class um which is way i thought maybe a few hundred you know mm-hmm. so for me it was like it's a joy and i look forward to it and i love it and it's you know i'm gonna as soon as i'm out of this witches writers room stuff like figure out a way to do more of it in the second year but um I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's very odd. Like it feels like, you know, there, there was a moment like when I started at DC and again, forgive me if I'm just like going on and on and on. Like I, I want you to ask you, get to ask your questions too. Um, we, we like when our guests ramble. They, they... <laughs> All right. Well, you, you yeah. can't write guests then. But <laughs> you're um, when I started at DC, you know, it was just DC comics and then it was bought by Warner brothers and that merger with Warner more formally happened my first year there where they announced like Dan DiDio and Jim and, um, and Jeff Johns and under Diane and like that whole thing with the new 52 happened right after I got there. 
And then the move to LA happened. And then after that, we started getting overseers at Warner Brothers. And then after that, we got bought by AT&T. And then we had AT&T people overseeing it. And then after that, now they've sold it to Discovery. And there's also HBO Max coming in. There's, And what you start to feel isn't like, it's not that, it's not that it's the, the people at the company. Like Marie is amazing, the person, Marie Javins, right? Yep. And Dan, you know, and the people there were always committed. Dan and I had our knockdown drag out fights, but I just texted with him today. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're close and I love Dan. Um, you know, I have my issues with, with the way he ran things too, but we, he supported me and, and he was comic folk and he, he, you know, that too. What I'm trying to say is that when I started there, there was more opportunity to do long runs. There was more opportunity to know that you were on a book for longer. There was less oversight from parent companies. Um, and there was less volatility in that regard for staff. You know, there was less cuts of people, less, you just, it was just the company, you know, it was the company itself in New York, you know, in the old building. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I bring this up is like a microcosm of things happening across the entertainment landscape where you wind up kind of riding on the backs of these megalodons that are like, have eaten other sharks and other sharks. And then you're, you're just, they're so big like Disney or <laughs> discovery plus AT&T and those things mm-hmm. that, um, it doesn't mean you can't make great stuff at those places you can. And I think they are making great stuff, but I think the, um, the uncertainty and sometimes the interruptions, I think sometimes the size of staff and the things that you, you know, there's less stability than there was before in different ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, that doesn't knock the quality or the creators or the editors or anybody in those companies. It's just those companies are now also subject to a lot of, I think, you know, a lot of changes and forces that are bigger than them. Yeah. And that can really work out great at times. And sometimes it doesn't, um, but it's spooky. So, you know, and I think um, being where I am now, y- you see all of a sudden there's a way when you're not working on licensed stuff to almost kind of like take advantage of the Megalodon fights happening <laughs> like this, like the biggest thing that everybody wants right now is intellectual property. Right. Because when we were younger or me putting myself at like, you know, as a old fogey, um, when I was growing up, like you had a handful of shows that were like the, the big shows that you watched on Thursday night or on Wednesday night. And a lot of TV programming was just garbage. Like a lot of it was like, you know, a lot of it was just game shows, bad game shows, bad soap operas, like during the day, who cares? Judge Judy, whatever, like not to knock Judge Judy, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, like you have exponential demand for content. Like people want to binge a show on their own time and they want another show to binge. They want another show to binge. And everybody wants the biggest volume of stuff that's exclusive to them. It's a volume game. So suddenly like every place from Hulu to Amazon to Netflix to YouTube to everybody wants content and they have sponsors where they're willing to pay for it. Substack all of it. And so moving out of a sphere like DC or Marvel, you suddenly as a creator have more opportunity to 
make your own stuff and option your own stuff or sell your own stuff directly to customers, sell your own stuff to companies that, you know, you like sell your stuff. And there are more options with indie stuff within comics. Like they're great companies like boom, where you share the rights, you don't have the rights whole to yourself, mm-hmm. but you share the rights with them. There are other companies like image where you have the rights all to yourself, you know, then there are other companies where they take all the rights. And sometimes that's okay. Like the way American vampire for me, that was the kind of deal I did with that, mm-hmm. but it was the right moment in my career to do that. Now I'm getting the rights back finally and that stuff. But ultimately, um, you know, what I'm trying to say is it's a landscape that's shifting from stability being at licensed stuff to more, more ways of creating stability in indie stuff, in my opinion right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I could be wrong, but that's, that's what I see is like my friends finding more stability, even new creators less established from finding ways of making their own books, um, whether it's with small publishers, bigger indie publishers, than necessarily working in the big two for long. They don't have like, you know, like it, they had these wars, like who is going to be exclusive for, you know, I had a two-year exclusive contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it was like, there was everybody, it was like, they were exclusive tying down everybody back then. Now there are barely any exclusives. They don't do that really anymore, you know? So they do with artists, but with writers, it's less, less common, you know, mm-hmm. now. Um, so that's what I mean is it's a wild landscape where there's more opportunity and there's more ways of, of sort of uh, empowering yourself, I think as a creator. And there's also a lot more anxiety, you know, and uncertainty because there's just so much churn of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. even in TV, like working, I'm not, I have no desire to like leave comics for TV. So I'm not that, I know some friends of mine have done that or mm-hmm. like do that for years. I'm not, I'm just not built that way. Um, but it's my first experience working in TV with witches and the people that I've met in the writer's room. Um, they're great. I love them. And um, they were explaining to me that a lot of the same stuff hap- is happening in TV where there's more opportunity because streaming creates a demand for more and more shows to be made. Mm-hmm. So there's more work all over Hollywood for TV people, but that work is more, it's more empowering because you have more choice, but the work itself is not as consistent and long-term as they used to be when you work on a network show or a cable show, there isn't the same, you know, 15 issue commitment, 15 episode commitment. There isn't the same 24 episode commitment. There mm-hmm. isn't the same residual, you know, people are still figuring out how you get paid from digital or how digital residuals and stuff. So there's a lot of excitement and like, wow, there's more work and there's more ways of taking control of your career and you're not subject to the same gatekeeping in the same way. And then there's the flip, which is like at the same time, there's not a lot of rules. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of up and down, a lot of, you know, wild uncertainty too. Now, uh, amid all this, because, you know, as you mentioned, you've got a lot of books, you know, in various stages of development, you're, you're in the writer's room for, for witches, you're, you're teaching Substack, you know, when it comes to your, your own scheduling of time, do you find that you are a very tight scheduler or, you know, are you leaving yourself room to breathe in all of this? No, my, my schedule, like my life is like, 
I mean, my life sucks. Like in terms of a schedule that lasts like, well, the last like three months um, and it will for March, mm-hmm. but um, that that's because um, when I signed up to do the writer's room for witches, I was, I was really only a consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they wound up, I wound up getting along with the people and, and, and they asked if I would stay and um, take a bigger role. So I was like, yeah, I don't want to miss that opportunity because not because I'm dying to switch over to TV, but just because um, you get to be involved in a show you love on your stuff and Jock, they asked to be involved too. So um, that commitment has been a lot because it's Mm. 9am their time, 9.30am their time till, you know, two to 3pm their time. So noon to six o'clock here on top of the work that I had. So mm. that, that wasn't scheduled into my life. So that, um, that has been a lot like that's been, you know, it's been the, like the happiest time of my life, like creatively working on all these things I love, but um, yeah, my, my sleep is awful. Like my, my, I have to work. I've been working just crazy. So I'm very excited for the writer's room stuff ends and they decide on whether or not you know the show will actually hit tv screens in the end of march mm-hmm. and so um i'm uh have like another month of kind of doing this stuff and and i'm so proud of what we made um or what we're making in the room and i really hope they do it um but uh you know either way it's been a great experience and i'm glad i'm doing it but my time is always super scheduled like with three kids like mm-hmm. I don't have the luxury when I was maybe starting off as a writer, like sure. But now my schedule is like, I take the kids to school and I'm writing by like eight 30. And then I write until, um, you know, noon when I go in the writer's room and then I'm in the writer's room and then I pick the kids up during the lunch break in the writer's room. Cause that coincides with the three o'clock here. And then I bring them home. My wife watches them while I'm on the, back end of it and then when everybody goes to sleep and then i'm dad from like you know six to nine and then when everybody goes to sleep i usually try and work again for an hour or two and then you know do it again so my my hope is to get back to a normal schedule where i work like you know nine to four nine to five every day Mm -hmm. but i've always been that guy writing wise i'm very very scheduled like i don't um you know i don't i don't i've never i've never um never been somebody who's like, well, I I don't feel like it today or I'll do it tonight or I do it overnight or, you know, I have friends like that and I marvel at that and nothing against it. I just, I need to be like nine to five, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like a job, you know? Now when, when, when you've got the time and, and, you know, it's, it's writing time, how do you break down, I guess, what book you're working on on a given day? Is it just, you know, what you've got ideas for at the moment, or, you know, do you've got like, this is demons day, this is not Terra day, et cetera. Yeah, no, my, that's what will really helps me with too, is he gives me a schedule for like a few months and it's like, these are the things you need to get in at these times. And so I'll kind of arrange it around which things I feel like I'm going to feel like working on in what order, but hit my deadline. So like, you know, I'll be like, well, I have like a month to do Nocterra number 11, but I'm really into that book right now because I just came off lettering for number nine. So 
why don't I do that first? And then this and that, and then we, we do that together. And then he's like, okay. And then I know what to hand in what he expects. And if anything shifts, it shifts. Sometimes I'll be like, I was just on a roll and I wanted to do another issue this. So, mm-hmm. but it's like that. So it's, it's pretty blocked out where I know what I'm working on, you know, week to week. Um, just cause there's a lot. And also, um, I'm just that, I just always, you know, I'm, I'm, that's, I need to really immerse myself in the book. I can't do like one day on a book and then one day on another book. I have to be like a few days at least in one thing. So mm-hmm. I can really like reread the whole thing, really get into it, you know, feel it through and that. So that, that I think provides a, a decent segue into the next leg of the stool, which are those print books coming out yeah. from, from image. Um, and you've, talked about both of the, the the two that i had several questions about uh so far a little bit but any update that you can give us on the return of witches for the next arc oh yeah um which is because of the tv show well first of all like witches is that one that's like almost a joke between me and jock where we had the second arc like planned out to do pretty soon after the first arc and then he got a job doing costume design for um for last jedi and he was like and it was filming in scotland and he was like i have to take this job and i'm like you must take that job that's so cool and then i got um then he finished that and then um i went to him and i'm like metal was this hit this big hit they want to do a series about batman who laughs and it's like the last that is like one of the last things i want to do on batman before i leave at dc before i leave i mean Mm -hmm because I have an idea and, and you'd be, it'd be a sequel to black mirror. Basically. What do you think? And he was like, ah, that's the only book I would do before I do witches. I'm like, okay, we'll do it right after. And then that ended. And then um, they approached us about the witches TV show. And I was like, if I do the witches TV show, I'm not going to have time to do witches itself. And I can't like, I can't split my head that way. Like, and do mm-hmm. the comic of the TV show while I'm doing the TV show. And it's different. The TV show is the first season, but it's like the first arc, but it's the first arc mixed with what would be the second arc in a way. So it's like, I couldn't do like, I just don't have the headspace to do that. And he was like, well, how many chances are we going to get to be involved in the TV show this way? And so we're like, all right, we'll do it. So either way, we are definitely going to bring back witches, whether they decide to pick the show up or they don't. Um, uh, by like the end of this year so the goal is to start it in summer um, the comic and bring it back and especially if they pick it up you'll definitely like you'll million percent see it like expedited probably so we can get it you know get it up and running in a good shape before the show starts so yeah either way that undiscovered country is running strong we're just taking our normal hiatus you know in between arcs, we already, I think the solicitations are out now for, we're doing a, a special Destiny Man issue in June, and then we come back full in July. So that's running. And Noctera is just not stopping. Like Noctera is, is going. I just wrote issue 12. So yeah, an issue eight comes out next, uh, comes out the week after this. Mm-hmm. Or this the week after this? I think the week after this, yes. Yes, March 3rd or something. So the week after this week right yeah the week, the week when this episode releases yes oh, nice sorry yeah. that's all it's all good yeah. I, I, we actually did a whole thing before we start talking to you 
time makes no sense anymore anyway. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's, that's the image leg of the stool yeah. Yeah. that I'm really excited about too. Uh, speaking of Noctera, because the second arc is, is now rolling and it feels like this arc is flipping the script since the first arc was uh, our heroes being chased by Blacktop Bill. Now we're going and they're now and not just them, but other factions are after Bill. Yeah. Was that a parallel that you when you plotted this out sort of initially, were you like, OK, that was something you had in mind or is that something that's could have come organically as you after you built the first arc? It's like, no, now we got to go after this some bitch. I, I, I plotted most of this whole story out um, like the whole the whole thing, like there's three big arcs. And then there's a lot of interstitial stuff. And if people really love it and Tony wants to continue it in the middle, then there's ways of building it out and extending the third arc into sort of two arcs, you know, giving there's ideally I'd love it to be four arcs, but, um, and be, you know, a full 25 issues or so, I think. Um, And then if people want more stories from that world, there's plenty, but I, um, the, the, the outline for the whole thing is, is, you know, pretty solid. So the idea was to do the first arc where it's like they find out about the existence of this place where um, they might be able to bring this equation and bring back the light. And if anybody hasn't been reading Noctera, it's about um, what if a darkness covers the earth like tomorrow and start and the darkness changes everything that doesn't stay lit and it into a monster called a shade. Um, and it takes place like 14 years, 13 years after that happened in a world that's been like transformed by this darkness and it follows these truckers that are transport things from outpost to outpost in this like scary new reality called the big PM. Um, so uh, the second arc was going to be, the first one was going to be about that. And the second arc was going to be like the only way they can find the location of this place they need to go is to hunt down the person that they're most afraid of and then make him part of their team so it's going to be really the issue issue nine is literally like my favorite issue of the series for that reason you'll see like what happens between them i just it just went to print um but the um it gets crazier and crazier and more personal and fun um and the third arc is wild what do you see what do you see the way this arc ends the issue 11 the ending of issue 11, the last few pages, I'd love to talk to you when you see it because it's a shocker. I think it'll be good. And one other currently not in print, but print book, the DC solicitations for May just dropped a couple of days ago as a recording. And one of the bigger announcements there was the return of fables. It's mm-hmm. made me wonder, uh, American Vampire didn't wrap up that long ago with the end of 1976. But can you see a future where you and Raphael Albuquerque return for a little more American vampire? Oh, yeah. We, we always talk about that. Like, we don't plan on closing the series forever. It's more the end of this kind of, of this um, iteration of the series. Like, what we'd love to do is do a version where from now on it takes place in the present, but it looks back at it, there are cases that they're following um, the VMS that then um, are informed by things in the past. So it more is like a present day story where all the, all the kind of mysteries and, you know, um, yeah, cases they're on involve um, things that happen before they have to uncover. So we definitely want to come back to it. He actually pitched me a whole thing about Travis uh, 
that he wants to do already. But um, the fun with the best jacket books is, you know, we're going to be able to do a new series there. Uh, Duck and cover literally is about, it's the same kind of spirit where it's like, what if in 1955, Russia and the United States had a nuclear exchange and the only kids, people that survived here were um, kids that hid under their desks and their desks were like perfectly preserved and nobody knows why. And so it's kind of a manga influenced teenage, you know, wild Mad Max adventure that takes place in the rockabilly, like kind of detritus of 1955. And the kids start to develop powers and stuff. It's really fun. So it's like, you know, out of control. Um, so yes, we would definitely return to American Vampire and we plan on it in the future. That's like my home base, but um, I can't wait for people to see Duck and Cover also. So that'll yeah. be fun. And the way that Jock and I are going to do Book of Evil and Witches is that um, Book of Evil is just spot illustrations by him. It's mostly prose. It's mostly prose. So um, the idea would be to do, uh, to do, um, yeah, to, to, have him have plenty of room to illustrate which is in full while doing that. Now we're getting, we're getting to the end of the night. So I decided to, you know, throw something kind of wild your way and, sure. and see what we get uh, because you, you cracked the source wall and uh-huh. you know, opened the omniverse during metal. So, so we're going to play a little game. Uh, Lamb from uh, we have demons Val from Noctera and Harper Rowe wind up on a road trip in Val's rig. <laughs> what world are they on? Who's navigating since, you know, Val is clearly driving. Oh, man. And what kind of snacks are they taking on the road? Wow. Well, I feel like huh, that's a great one. Um, I think I would probably put them on Val's world because I love it and I'm enjoying it and it's completely nuts. Um. And there's like a ray of hope there. And I think a road trip with three awesome like heroines would be crazy fun. And I feel like Harper would bring the Gotham snacks that would be like, you know, uh, Batman themed, you know, Batman thief puffs of some kind or other bat puffs or whatever that they sell that like the little penguin. scissors bat pizza that just came out. Yeah. Or like whatever penguin is selling to like capitalize on Batmania, even though he's, you know, hates him that kind of thing. So yeah, I feel like Val Val would be behind the wheel. She doesn't let a lot of people drive a rig. I feel like a uh, 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 lamb would be like navigator because she's got a good sense of, she's got a very good compass in many ways, more than one. I think Harper would be the one that's like, you know, the uh, the uh, the supply person in the back for treat for food, gas, all of it. I think she'd be like backbone. And by the way, there was also a version of this in my head that was uh, Blacktop Bill, Skinner Sweet, and James Gordon Jr. But that was a that's little a fun one. Yeah, <laughs> but I lean little... I lean in that direction. So yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um given we talked about what your schedule is like right now, uh, are, are you actually reading anything right now yourself? Yeah. I mean, I do try, I, I do, especially with the comicsology stuff, like the subscriptions, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, I do keep up as much as I can. And I think maybe to close out, like the things that mm-hmm. I point people towards are indie wise. There's so much I'm loving. I mean, you know, I think 
uh, some of the comicsology stuff in particular too, like um, uh, uh, we only kill each other by Steph yeah. Phillips, I think is fantastic. I think um, some of the books I read last year uh, there as well, like Adora by Mark Bernadine and um, Ariella Cristantina, who I'm working with on something else. Um, but um, Afterlift, like Chip Zdarsky mm-hmm. and, but um, image wise too, and boom wise, like obviously something is killing the children, House of Slaughter, mm-hmm. you know, Department of Truth. James is just killing it. You know, how, nice house on the lake over at DC. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, some other favorites, I think Stillwater by Chip over at, after, uh, at um, Skybound is amazing. And um, uh, yeah, what am I not thinking of that I love? I mean, I love, I think it just came out to, to this week or it's coming out this week, but um Step by Bloody Step by Cy Spurrier, yeah. Matias Bergera, I thought was just fantastic. Um, wordless, incredible storytelling. Uh, um, what else? I mean, in Marvel and DC stuff, like Tom Taylor is and Josh Williamson are my close friends. And mm-hmm. to see them just rocking out is amazing. I think all the stuff they're doing is terrific. And um, also former students of mine, Mike Marisi and... Uh, and uh, Phil Johnson are killing it. And Vita Ayala was, was in the workshop as well. And what they're doing over at Marvel is, is fantastic. Um, and uh, I mean, at DC um, also, but because they go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the, I think comics is at a great moment. I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm loving it, you know? So what are you guys reading and loving? Oh boy. Um... Pick like, Yeah maybe two books because my my kids are yes no absolutely um i right now i think my two faves are human target at dc tom king and greg smallwood and homesick pilots at image dan waters and uh, i love i love dan waters is is fantastic too he's killing it yeah absolutely Um, and casper wingard is great too yes uh, i that's that's oh boy <laughs> pick your two favorite children matt right now i know okay well i'll start off and we've already talked about some of his his any work but james tinian's joker is a great book yeah just i mean it, it's the jim gordon book i've wanted since black mirror which you know not, i mean you're my guess you're the guest but i gotta say is one of my i love i've always loved jim gordon and that's one of my favorite jim gordon stories and this is 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 right up there um and there's so god i read so many comics <laughs> uh, i'm just like uh i, I want i want to go with something something weird actually uh out of uh awa uh crimson cage which Ooh. is macbeth set in rural louisiana wrestling in and it's that sounds amazing. I have not read that. Phenomenal. I, mean, I, as a Shakespearean, I, you know, says that's what I studied in, in college. It's just such a, a crazy concept and it works so well. I'm glad I'll check it out. Crimson cage. That's a great wreck. Yeah. 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 Issue uh, three, John Lee and Alex Cormack. Yeah. Yep. Issue three came out last week of five. So we're okay. you know, right in the heart of it. Awesome. But uh, Scott, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll let you get back to things. Uh, final question as we're wrapping up, how can people keep track of all the various things you got going on? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm on, um, I'm on um, Twitter and Instagram and, um, and uh, 
and Facebook and all that. I'm easy to find. My Twitter is S Snyder one eight three five. Elvis's birthday, January eighth, nineteen thirty five. I'm a big Elvis fan. Um, at um, uh, uh, on Twitter, S Snyder one eight three five. Same thing. I you know Scott. I'm I'm on yeah Facebook and Instagram. But honestly, the best place to find me is is through Substack. Is it best jacket? Our best jacket. Um, if you subscribe to like our free newsletter. It comes once a week for you and um, you know, it, it gives updates on everything and you can interact there, like make comments. I check the comments and try and write back um, and it gives you peaks of things and all that. So, you know, it's, it's a better, more comprehensive way to like be in touch and find out what we're doing and gives you access to get things early. And then if you're over there and you want to sign up um, for seven bucks a month, you get all the class. You can do the class we were talking about comic writing one one where I do it live for a few hours, um, once a month, different topics like, you know, characterization, um, uh, villains, all kinds of fun stuff. And sometimes we have guests, sometimes it's just me, but if you sign up, you get an archive of like all the classes we've done so far, the whole video archive. So for, you could do it for one month, seven bucks and then quit, which I shouldn't tell you, but you could. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm easy to find. I, I do check my own, like, you know, dms which are open and that stuff so you know you you can and you can definitely get in touch pretty pretty easily if you want to but i think um yeah best jacket is probably the best way right on scott thank you so much for joining us for the big 200 oh i'm so glad thank you it's an honor honestly this has been like one of the best talks i appreciate you guys taking the time that's it for this week's show as a reminder wmqna is part of comics xf where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom, Chris is on Infinite Earths, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a $1 donation gets you early access to episodes Shoutouts on the podcast and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a slot in the Comics XF staff picks. A $3 donation gets you access to our new bonus podcast, Our Son Pete. A deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons. Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast. Robert Secundus from ComicsXF.com. Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series. Cap herself from Comics XF, and Asimov Fangirl, aka the Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQA on Twitter at WMQ Comics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and Comics XF at Comics XF. And until next week, remember that ad where they use the Silver Surfer to promote a jet ski giveaway. WMQA. WMQA.